Indiana Bible College is committed to training tomorrow's apostolic ministers today. And this is the Indiana Bible College podcast. In this episode, we have the final chapel of this semester preached by our president, pastor of Calvary Tabernacle, Reverend Joshua B. Carson. We are always grateful to bring his voice to you on this podcast and, of course, have him speaking to students in chapel. This message is entitled, The Danger of the Descent, and it is a fantastic parting word for the students here on campus, but also for everyone who is in the up and down process that is life and ministry. So let's get to it, Reverend Joshua B. Carson, The Danger of the Descent. directed me here, verse 1, reading through verse 4, and Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and with all how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also. If I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose. Elijah went for his life, came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself... He himself, he got isolated. Went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came and he sat down under a juniper tree. The Bible says, and he requested for himself that he might die. Said, it is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life. For I am not better than my father's. Elijah, your job's not to compare yourself to your father's. Your job is the will of God and not to be intimidated by Jezebel. I want to preach for just a little while today, and then I want us to pray about the dangers of the descent. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for what we feel in this house, the exceptional talent, but more importantly, the anointed gifting of these that have led us in worship and the demonstrative worship of the students that have filled this chapel. These are great students. Some of them dealing with financial hardship. Some of them dealing with family trial. Some of them feeling just burnout and ready to be done for the semester. Students under the sound of my voice that are still weighing in the balance of whether or not they even return. I think you want to do something special in this chapel today. I'm praying that you'd help us. I'm praying that you would help me to preach with wisdom and clarity under the anointing of the Holy Ghost to deliver this anointed word. 
What an opportunity to share your word with your people. Help us in this house today, we pray it. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ. And let everyone say amen. You may be seated. Turn to your neighbor on your right and your neighbor on your left. And would you tell them with the best smile you've got left, there are dangers in the descent. It seems to be one of the greatest victories recorded in the entirety of the text. One of the great moments, one that we preachers would foam and scream about for many, many centuries to come. Some would speak it mildly, others meekly, but a lot would scream it passionately. God can do anything. And it was here in 1 Kings chapter 18 that we watched the prophets of Baal destroyed. I believe that you are no different than me in that you would have enjoyed a seat at that particular barbecue. When fire fell from heaven and God proved himself. I would remind you today, God needs no more proving. God need do no more wonders among us to prove that he's God. He need to do no more signs among us for us to be convinced that he is God. And yet, if we're not careful, we try him in such manner all the time. We get tripped up in the scripture by stories about fleeces. And if we're not careful, we'll ask God for fleeces. And really what we're asking is for him to prove himself. But he is God and there's none like him. And Elijah has had what I would call one of the greatest demonstrated visual miracles of the entire Bible. Fire fell from heaven. Elbow your neighbor and tell them that's pretty awesome. It's not awesome if you're a prophet of Baal. Everything is relative. At least post-modernity would like you to think so, and this particular instance would make it to be true. It is awesome if you believe in the power of God, but if you are on the wrong team, this is a bad day. And it's a real bad day when the finality of the moment is declared that every prophet is now to be slain. But if I'm on Elijah's team, I want to put on a foam finger that says, Elijah, I want to be on the sideline chanting, Elijah, he's our man if he can't do it. No one can. I heard some of you. All the girls would have wanted to talk about Elijah. All the guys would have wanted to be Elijah. You can act like it doesn't matter, but we highlight people who can sing well. We highlight people who can preach good for seven minutes. Once a month, reality's coming. But Elijah just prayed fire from heaven. And I don't even have any scripture that he really raised his voice to do it. And a fire. Our stories go, 
This should have been the greatest moment of his ministry. As victories go, this is the one where if you're Elijah, you run down the sidelines and you high five everybody on the side. We did it, baby. Right? Having a, having a holy wave, getting all the prop. But there's not many hands to slap when you fight alone. And it's not much of a wave when you feel isolated. When even the Lord has to tell you, I've got men that haven't bailed, bowed to bail, but you don't even know it because they are so scarce. If I'm Elijah, I would think that this is the moment for celebration. But the danger was, who was there to celebrate with? That's why one of the greatest dangers in the church is when we cannot celebrate the wins of our brothers and our sisters. Because if we think we have to win alone, it becomes dangerous when we begin to lose alone. There should have been a parade in his honor. I tell you right now, any young man at Indiana Bible College that prays down fire from heaven, we're going to get you something. In fact, we are opt, if you even teach a successful Bible study, to champion you, to tell you, well done, because we celebrate that. Seems as though there should have been fanfare and celebration. But might I remind you, the enemy takes no days off. Here we have fire from heaven, the altar consumed, and, and he's looking around, and it should have been wonderful. It should have been an exciting day. Brother Rodenbush, this was the moment. But the next thing he hears is not the applause of heaven. And not the cheering of other ministers who have bowed no knee to bow. No, it is the words of that wicked whore Jezebel. I didn't know if I'd use that language, but the Bible does. The spirit of Jezebel is intimidation. We can call it what we want, but it's intimidation to be different from the world. And to live righteous in an unrighteous world. And when Ahab speaks to Jezebel, Jezebel sends the words back to Elijah, the same man that has just called fire from heaven. And every Bible college student, you know the story. And so I reiterate only for convenience and for us to be flabbergasted once again, Elijah, fire from heaven, prophets are slain, but gets one word of intimidation and begins to tuck his tail, and run. Because whether you know it or not, the greatest time to crumble is right after your greatest success. 
I wish it were not so. I wish I had no history to prove it. I wish I had no faces to go with the stories. But I could tell you story after story. And so could the ministry on this platform today of men and women that had mountaintop experiences with God. They did not fall and they did not fail on their way up this pivotal point in their life. They did not fail in the moment of the miraculous nor the fire that was consuming. But when they fail was on their way back down to reality. Because a word of intimidation. Those after preaching devils. Those after ministry moments. It wasn't on the way to Bible college. That was hard enough. It, it wasn't in the chapel service. No, it was on the way back into reality. It wasn't while they were in chapel with hundreds of other like-minded believers. It's when they walked back through the doors of their house and they remembered that there's beer cans in the fridge and there were cigarettes on it wasn't while they were at Bible college with all of their friends and in the middle of their midterms. It wasn't while they were at finals and writing papers and doing assignments. No, it was when they went home and they, they found that she's still there. It was easier to stay away from her while here. <laughs> it was easy to stay away from him while in Indianapolis. But he was waiting. She was waiting. You listen to me. Jezebel's always waiting. But I need to tell you something today. Jezebel's not stronger than you. Jezebel's not more powerful than you. Jezebel's job is to intimidate you. To make you feel like this call you've got from God is some cute little game you're playing. To make you feel like what you've been doing over here in Indianapolis is just some motions you've been going through. But I've got news for Jezebel and I've got news for you. God is your God. And the God, listen... The God who answers by fire is the same God who answers by the consistency of your walk. Elijah, Elijah calls fire from heaven, and we preach about that forever, but we're almost embarrassed to talk about the first four verses of. Everybody preaches about the fire, but very few want to traverse the next four verses because they seem more rocky than the hillside of Carmel in the. But these are true scriptures. These scriptures are played out in the modern day by uncles and aunts and siblings and cousins. They're played out in the modern day by internet and poor choices. And oh, it's not the mountaintop of preaching a chapel or being in one of our special groups. It's in the descent when, when break begins to enter our mind and Pastor, that's a little strong. Good. I want Jezebel to know we know her trick. We know her secret. For some of you in this house, this is lost on you. But for others, every time you try to lay your head to the pillow for the last week, Jezebel's been whispering into your ear. And all you've ever heard of Jezebel is you think that means some some turning away from modesty or allowing something of the world. And I'm telling you it's a spirit of intimidation that's been telling you when you get home. 
that you can't live righteous and you can't live holy and you can't be godly and you can't fulfill the call of God upon your life and so you're thinking about running and dying under a juniper tree but I've come to preach to you today you are who God says you are you do have the calling that God says you have you're as powerful in this moment as you were on Carmel Come on, you are as powerful. Whatever altar got you here is the altar that can take you home and can keep you while you're at home. And I don't want to be powerful in a chapel, but meek when I get home. If you've got power here, you've got power there. If you've got authority here, you've got authority there. You can go home as an apostolic young adult that's been washed in the blood and changed by the price of the lamb. I want everybody to repeat after me. Jezebel is a liar. She is. Let me see. Jezebel's a liar. Let me pull the platform. The righteous men and women. Have you ever, probably not, have you ever felt the spirit of intimidation try to come against you? Why? Surely not you, Brother Kilman. These camps and stuff, you don't feel it. Stand up and preach righteousness, preach truth. Jezebel, try to get a text message to you, try to get a headline to you. Surely, surely, Brother Rodenbush, in all these years of ministry, you haven't endured any intimidation. Oh, oh, yes, he said. Oh, yes. Intimidation will make you come off the mountaintop of Carmel and when you should be at your best. You're running from a woman that if she really wanted to kill you, she'd have done it privately. She had resources at her disposal. I found out a long time ago, thank God I had a bigger brother, six years older than me, and he was a big boy. His fist is about the size of my head. He's a big, big guy, always been big. But he taught me when I was a young man. He said, if somebody's barking real loud, it usually means they ain't got the guts to actually fight. <laughs> he said, if they do it, they'll have somebody else do their dirty work. He said, the greatest way to handle a bully is to go face to face with a bully. I learned at a young age, and here was my backup. If I couldn't, he could. <laughs> Pretty good odds. If Jezebel was going to kill him, she wouldn't have sent word. And maybe she did want to kill him. Maybe she did want him destroyed. But for her to send that word, it was the intimidation that came against him. And there are men and women in this room. Some of you, I feel like I could point to you right now. That you are listening to the woeful cries of intimidation. It's not even real. Somebody needs to hear me right now when I tell you. If he could destroy you, he already would have. If he could destroy your mind, he already would have. If he could eliminate your calling, he already would have. You know what Jezebel, what intimidation wanted? Intimidation wanted the same guy that called fire from heaven to go crawl up in a ball under the tree and say, God, take my life from and the enemy's greatest trophy is some young man or some young woman that 
self-implodes during a time of intimidation. And it wasn't alcohol that stole your ministry and it wasn't some cigarette addiction that stole your ministry. It wasn't even really some guy or some girl. It was implosion because of intimidation and you decided I'll go ahead and do this myself. And if you're not careful, you'll be Elijah calling unto God, why did you even get me into this? Take my life. I'm no better than my father. I'm no different. You hear me right now? You are different. You are different. Yeah, you don't understand. Pastor Carson, you don't understand my home life. You hear me. If you've ever listened to anything I've said, you hear me as it were the voice of the Lord right now. You are different. You are called by God for this hour. Not to be intimidated, not to be bashful, not to be weak or lethargic about who you are and what the Lord intends for your life. It is not the will of God that you show up to Bible college like a lion, but you tuck your tail between your legs and you go home acting as if this entire semester has not made you any different. I'm preaching to some upperclassmen as well right now. When you go home, they ought to know by this point in your journey, you are not who you were. You are not the same easily intimidated individual that you used to be. You're not tripped up by the same things. You're, come on, Jezebel is a cold, calculated harlot of the age, but we are more than conquerors through him. Not by our own ability, not by our own gifting, but you're filled with the power of God and you are armed with the call of God. You got this word inside of you. You've got this word inside of you. Mount Everest, 29,035 feet. Some 8,800 meters high. The summit is the border of Nepal to the south, China or Tibet to the north. And scientists say that it grows about a quarter of an inch every year. It consists of different types of shale and limestone and marble. The rocky summit covered with deep snow all year long. The weather can be horrendous. The jet stream sits on top of Everest almost the entire year. The wind can blow in excess of 200 miles per hour. The temperature can be negative 80 degrees Fahrenheit. However, twice annually in the spring and in the fall, easing towards that winter somehow, there is a window, these two windows, spring and late fall, are what are called the summit windows. It's where individuals strive to get to the top. Like all mountains around the world, the local, the indigenous people were the first to see it, but it was first identified for the Western world by British survey team led by Sir George Everest in 1841. Everest was the first named or was first named Peak 15 and measured at 29,002 feet in 1856. And in 1865, it was named Mount 
Everest after Sir George Everest himself. The first attempt in recorded history was in 1921 by British expedition from the north. The first recognized actual summit was on May 29, 1953. Sir Edmund Hillary from New Zealand and Tenzing Norgay, a Sherpa from Nepal, climbed from the south side on a British expedition led by Colonel John Hunt. Still on record, the youngest individual in May of 2010, Jordan Romero, at only 13 years of age, made it to the summit. Between that time and now, at least five different teens and young adults have made it on the successful journey. Many, many of all ages, ethnicities, and backgrounds have made it to the summit. But I'd like to share with you what many have heard, but what few enjoy speaking about, and even I myself lament the reality of what I feel to share. But the headlines on May 21st, 2012 read this. Four climbers die on Mount Everest. Ebert Scharf, 61, that German medical doctor. Syria Shah, 33, the Nepali-born woman. Song Wanden, 44-year-old man from South Korea. And Win Rai Ha, 55, of China. All climbing 29,000 plus feet, five and a half miles high. But they did not die on their way to the summit. The summit was something they had already accomplished. It was while coming down that weather hit in. They used their oxygen and hallucinations began to set in. They did not die on the ascent. They died on the descent. The last words of one woman who died on Mount Everest, highest base camp, or simply, save me. Save me. One climber said as he was passing these climbers that were coming down, not knowing their soon-to-be fate, he said as we passed those climbers returning from the summit, they were hallucinating. They were disoriented. And the truth is, once you are hallucinating from altitude sickness, although it is not reality, it seems to be reality. Once you're above 8,000 meters or 26,000 feet, the body deteriorates so fast that if you are not with a big group of people, it seems as though there is nothing you can do. One man, hallucinating, took his hat off. His gloves were thrown away. He kind of reached out and looked to me and said in, in, in kind of a, a, a zombie-like faction, what are we doing? And once the hallucinating had set in, Frozen death was soon to follow. David Bradshears was quoted as saying, at those elevations and those temperatures, it just doesn't work putting all of your energy into getting to the top when you're not saving much for the way back down from the high camp. <laughs> it's all about getting to the summit. People treat the summit as the finish line. 
They put all of their energy in getting to the top. They put all of their energy in getting there. It's the moment of great triumph until the harsh reality begins to settle in that one must get back down safely, to which I would ask the students under my hearing today, what good are mountaintops you cannot share? What good are mountaintop experiences that you cannot testify about. They are not alone. History is riddled with the reality while we celebrate those who summit and safely sojourn back down the steep topography of the mountain. History is riddled with the reality of those who made it to the top but never made it to tell. I wish it were not so. But the same that I surveyed on this platform right here could tell the same testimony of friends we've known along the way. They've preached the camps we preach. They've taught in the institutions we've taught in. They have made it to the pinnacle. They have made it to the summit. Pictures were taken on the greatest of platforms. They made it there, but all the energy was in the arrival to the summit. And it was the dangers of the descent that were not accounted for. I speak to someone, and I feel a weightiness in my spirit as I speak to you today. When I tell you, you better be guarded, you better be guarded. To some people in your life, some may think this is silly, but many of you understand what I'm about to say. To some people, the fact that you are a Bible college student at IBC is one of the coolest things they know. And for some of you in this room, you dreamed about attending this particular college for years, if not decades, before you get here. Every year, I have students that talk to me and parents that talk to me. They have waited for years and years. I talked to a father yesterday whose 16-year-old daughter has been dreaming and cannot wait for two years from now when she can get here. I will tell you, this is not the summit. But if we treat it like it is, there are dangers on the descent. There are dangers as you begin to ease back towards your house. You will begin to slip in your morality. Can I just talk open here today? You will watch stuff there you know you wouldn't watch here. You will text things there. You know you wouldn't text here. You will engage in activity there. The oxygen that was so critical, the prayer that was so necessary, that pneuma, the Spirit of God and the enveloping and the care and the precision and the precise of the discipline that was necessary for the being at class and going to school and staying on behalf. The oxygen that was taken in during the ascent and all of the work, and yet now it is the descent, and what need is there for oxygen and what? And if you are not careful, these three weeks will turn into the hallucination of your spiritual life. You'll give up your calling for a boyfriend. You'll cash in your ministry for a one-night stand. 
need you to lift your heads. I, I, God, I know what you placed on me in the living room of my home. I need everybody to pray. I don't want anyone singled out right now, but we got people who, if you don't heed this, I'd say, I'd say Elijah was hallucinating. Oxygen was lost. Intimidation set in. The problem is great men, great women fail. Thank God for restoration, lest none of us would be here today. But the enemy's desire is not that you fail and restore, it's that you fail and they bury you. And I would tell you that he's okay even if they bury you on the mountain. Spurgeon wrote it this way, Elijah failed in the very point at which he was strongest, and that is where most men fail. In Scripture, it is the wisest man who proves himself the greatest fool. Just as the meekest man, Moses, spoke hasty and bitter words. Abraham, that great man of faith, failed in his faith. Job in his patience. So he who is most courageous of all men fled from a woman. I think in the historical elements of those who have died on Everest, Brother Galleon, the great tragedy mentally that is played out to me is the interview with the Sherpa who said, the inability to get their body down off the mountain, that's what's hardest of all. If the family gravely desires it, we'll do our best, but it is almost impossible to get a body of dead weight from the summit to the ground floor. I wish the catalog of my mind was not flooded with faces and stories right now. I wish I did not have the Facebook evidence and the data to debrief every individual in this room of men that I sat with in this very college and women that I worshipped alongside. And I wish that it were not the case that those who I myself had ministered alongside and men and women that those that are in this room had ministered alongside all in this pursuit, this pursuit, this pursuit of the summit. I wish it were not the story that they seemingly died 
in the prime or the peak. How? Brother Turner, how? One little girl, one little woman, one little Jezebel. How, how, how? How? They weren't prepared for the descent of the moment. I have, in my decades of ministry, ran across very few who failed with God while climbing to an intentional place. But almost every one of them I'm talking about failed after a season of spiritual summit. Failed after a season where they had made it through a semester or after they had preached an event or after they had sang at a meeting or got invited to be on a recording or got invited to teach at a seminar and they, they were so intense and intentional about that summit experience that they took no guarding. Please, don't go from heaven's testimony to hell's during this descent. Say, Pastor Carson, are you worried that we're going to backslide during Christmas break? This is supposed to be fun. I just know your enemy. I'm just pretty well acquainted with Jezebel. I know what her voice sounds like. And if she can make Elijah want to die, you better believe she can make your ministry want to die. Some of you are going to go home and overbreak. You're going to have people that you love slide applications to other colleges and other careers. Some of you know who you are when I said it. They don't know why you haven't joined the family business yet. If I've ever been heavy in this chapel, I'm heavy right now. They still want you to they still want you to join the family business and think that you're doing some pie in the sky thing. You can preach and all they need you to do is turn from this summit and forget who you are. One engagement, one proposal, one opportunity. Elijah, you better run. Elijah, you better run. Men, women, I don't want you leaping today. I don't want you hopping. I don't want you hooping. I want some introspection to happen. I want right where you're seated. I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to ask God very clearly, am I prepared for the descent? <coughs> am I prepared for what's ahead of me? Am I prepared to get home and he's there? Am I prepared to get home and hear her? 
There's young adults in this room. I feel like the Lord showed me some of you in prayer. There's young adults in this room. If I could do anything, I would change the dynamics of what you've got to go home to. I'd rescue you from that. I'd... But the only reason there's mountains is because there's valleys. They're necessary one for another. I'm asking every person right where you're seated, not, not coming to an altar yet, not moving, right there in your seat, in the honesty of this moment, I want you to ask God. Some of you haven't yet sincerely asked God. I want you to ask God, and I think he's going to give you an answer. God, am I actually ready. I know I've been saying I'm ready for break. I know I've even been telling my friends. I've even told myself I'm ready. But God, I'm asking you, am I actually prepared to be ready? And if I'm not, I need you to put something in me right now. I need you to put some strength in me. I need your spirit. I need the spirit of God. I need the breath of God. I'm not going to be able to do this if I don't go home full of the Holy Ghost. I'm not going to be able to be the witness I'm supposed to be. God's going to give so many of you, he's going to give you opportunity to be great witnesses during this break. But if you go home fleeing from Jezebel, You can't witness from under a juniper tree. You can't do anything mighty for God while you're running from intimidation. Come on, what are the desires of your heart? God, I need you to search what really is in my heart for when I leave. I'm talking to somebody so clear right now that hell, hell has intentionally placed an individual in your life to wreck your ministry. I think you know I'm talking to you. God, I pray for the strength and the fortitude to guard calling. I pray for these young men and these young women. Some people in this room, you don't want anybody to know, but you are so worried about falling into old habits. God, I pray for strength in this moment. I pray for strength in this moment. Uh. This is where we live. Come on, this is where we live. We don't live on stages. We don't live on platforms. We don't live special group. No, no, no. I need to live it when the fire's not falling from heaven. When the prophets of Baal aren't being slain. When the choir's not singing. When praise isn't singing. When I'm not preaching in chapel. I've got to live it.
when there are no, are no assignments due and there, there are no speeches to be given. I've got to live it. Whether Jezebel's intimidating me or not, I've got to live it. No one in this room is exempt from this. No one in this room is exempt from the attack of an intimidating spirit. No one in this room is exempt from the dangers of the deceiver. Uh, let me talk to you before we're done. Pull the crowd. Pull the crowd before we're done. Who'd be honest right now and say, I know I need a little extra help for what I'm about to walk into. Raise your hand real high. I know that I feel this for a great reason in prayer. Look at all the hands. The dad in me and the fighter in me if I could rescue you from not even having to endure that, people on this platform would do the same thing. But it's your descent. But your descent will not be your destruction. I think we ought to maybe just have a little special prayer for some of our friends. Think that'd be okay? There's, there's some in this room that have home lives that others in this room you can't even. You can't even imagine. Let's do this. Okay, I think it's a good moment. If you just say, you know what, I need a little extra prayer. I'm not, I don't want to draw any attention to myself. I'm not doing that. I just, I need a little extra prayer for this break. I know it. I'm being honest about it. I need a little oxygen. The oxygen tank's a little bit low. I don't, I, I don't want to, I don't want to die during this season. I, I don't want, and I don't want to listen to the lies of the enemy during this season. You be honest. You've got a rough situation to go home to. You'd like a little extra prayer. I want you to raise your hand real high right now people around them. I want you to find them. I want you kind of, some of you are going to have to get up, get around. We're just going to pray for each other. Some of you got parents entertaining lifestyles that are just different. Some of you girls come around right here. Come on, some of you guys. You're not alone. I want you to feel the hands and hear the prayers being prayed over you. Isolation is destruction, but you're not alone. You can do it. 